0: My name is Sean, if you don't know me, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Church, and uh, we're starting a new series this weekend called the Insomnia. How many of you guys have had a difficult time sleeping since all this got started? That's over half of us. See, this is, like, it's it's really it's really messing with us. Um, as, as a parent of a senior in high school, Ryan started his senior year a few weeks ago. Um, my wife and I are concerned as to how this is going to permanently affect him, and um, like uh, uh, senior pictures, uh, college visits. Um, he's only going to school on Thursdays and Fridays, which kind of stinks. This is his senior year, so he doesn't get any of those memories. He's the captain of the varsity soccer team for Stoughton High, which is really cool for me as a dad to watch my son put all of those, like, hours and hours and hours for years and years and years of, years of effort into the sport, and to see him be rewarded for that is very fulfilling um, like as a dad, you're happy to see your kid like succeed at the things that they that they really love. Except uh, like a third of his season has been taken away uh, because of COVID, and uh, so we have five home games, five away games. I've never missed any of his high school games ever, unless I was out of town. Um, and I'm not allowed to go to his away games because that's one of the new rules uh, for the Hakamok Is that you can't have because you can't sign up and get their phone number, and you can't pre-register or whatever. I don't even know all the reasons why. It seems some of the rules are dumb, and we know that. Like I know every the motive is. Right, right, but I don't understand if you've got 600 seats, why an extra 20 parents can't come and sit in those 600 seats, and it doesn't matter the reasons why. But I, I'm going to miss half of his games this year uh, because of that. Uh, and in soccer, there's no headers, there's no throw-ins, there's no corner kicks, so it's like not even it's 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 more like kickball on a field. Is I mean it's I mean it's it's not like the whole game like. Everything about his senior years is tossed up in the air, right? So as as a a parent, I'm concerned about that. Then, they say that the long-term effects on on children because of what we're going through right now is like making child you know psychologists very very nervous, right? Like they don't they don't. There's just a lot to be worried about, a lot of things to be concerned about for us as, as as parents. I worry a lot about my kids, and I I think that that's probably. Uh, probably appropriate that I, as a dad, uh, am worried about my kids, and sometimes you lose sleep over your kids. Sometimes you lose sleep over a lot of different things, right? We've all lost sleep over different things. I've lost sleep this week, honestly, worrying about whether or not we're taking good enough care of everybody at Grace Church. Like, I, that, that, that is a legitimate concern. Like, are we doing a good job taking care of you? personally. So, I mean, you know, we try to do the handwritten notes as much as we can, doing more of that this this year than probably since our first year when there was a whole lot less people and trying to do, trying to make sure, you know, working on that scale of care so that everybody gets, you know, contacted every couple of months just to see how everybody's doing it. And, and I, I worry that we're not doing a good enough job. I, I don't know exactly how to do a better job at it. So, it's something that we're working on. I, I lose sleep over stuff. You lose sleep over stuff. Here's what you do. If you can think of one thing that you lose sleep over and you wouldn't be too embarrassed to share that with the person sitting next to you, just for fun, think of the one thing that you think you've lost sleep over in the past six months and can you share that with the person next to you real quick? What's the one thing you've lost sleep over? Maybe you've lost sleep over money, maybe you've lost sleep over your job, maybe you're a business owner. And uh, you've lost sleep over, like, like you lost sleep when you had to start furloughing employees. That was a very big burden for you as an, as an employer. Uh, we have a guy in our church who owns a roofing business, and believe it or not his business has taken off, and so he's been able to hire a lot of new people that got laid off at other companies. Um, so that's a small, like probably uncounted on blessing for him, but not all of us have, have been able to go through something good like that. For some of us, we've lost sleep over our career or our health. Uh, maybe you lose sleep and it has nothing to do with COVID, but you've had a hard time sleeping because of things, memories that you can't get rid of, things that come back to you uh, when you when you least are prepared for them. Um, maybe you worry about the economy. Uh, maybe you worry about <laughs> whether or not our our nation <laughs> will ever get its head out of its butt and stop being jerks to everybody else, right, in our country. Uh, maybe, maybe you lose sleep about the election. Um, like, this is like a really weird, weird time to be alive, right? Like, it's really weird. Um, today, we're going to be looking at um, one of the Biggest transitions in, in, in biblical literature, uh, and in this entire series, we're going to be looking at different people who faced situations that would have been stressful. People who were incapacitated by indecision, people who struggled with what, knowing how they were supposed to handle what had just happened to them uh, people who didn't know what they were supposed to do next. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next four weeks. So We're going to see what lessons we can learn from them that we can apply to the way that we live our lives right now. And I'm really excited about the first one. Uh, how many of you guys have ever heard of Moses? That's an easy question. Put your hand up if your hand ain't up. You didn't hear the question, right? We're going to be looking at uh, Moses, uh, actually not Moses, Moses has just died though in human history. Moses is famous, man, like you don't even have to be religious to know who Moses is. Uh, Moses is a prophet, uh, is is a prophet to the Jews, uh, to the Muslims, and to the Christians, did you know that? Like all three of the world's largest monotheistic religions all make Moses a big part of it. Uh, The statue of Moses by Michelangelo is the third most famous statue in the entire world. Uh, There are statues of Moses in Washington, D.C. His image is carved in the Capitol building and in in the uh, U.S. Supreme Court building. Homeboy is super famous, right? Everybody in the world knows who Moses is. Abraham, the Jews would say, is the father of the Jewish nation, but they would probably credit Moses with being the father of Judaism. Uh, He's one of the greatest leaders of all times. Ancient non-religious, ancient secular historians even tell us. The guy's a ninja. He's just led A million people, they say, up to maybe even more. A million people out of 480 years of slavery uh, into freedom. They've been wandering the desert for 40 years. Now they have the opportunity to establish a permanent uh, and forever kingdom and a nation. They go from slaves to nationhood during this period of time. And right before they get to the place where they get to get everything God had promised them, He dies. He's not the guy who gets to finish the job. Now, you know there are questions that people were asking now that Moses had died, right? They're all nervous about this. Are they wondering, are the glory days of the Jewish people over? Where do we go from here? Should we go back to Egypt? Will things continue as normal, or does everything change? Everything obviously changes now that Moses is dead, but is it going to change for the better? Because there's no way in the world the new guy is going to be anywhere as good as the old guy was. Like, what are we going to do? What if I don't like what's in front of me as much as what was behind me? And I I think Joshua is probably asking a completely different set of questions. I'm wondering if Joshua is asking whether or not he was good enough to do the job. What if he can't do it? What if he fails? How is he supposed to know what he's going to do next? And it's that period in between the death of Moses and Joshua actually stepping up and leading Israel. Where we pick up the story in the book of Joshua, which is the sixth book of the New Testament, excuse me, the Old Testament. It's the first book in the Jewish Bible after the Torah. So if you've got your Bible, go to the book of Joshua. If you got your cell phone, go ahead and pull that up. And, and you can find it. Joshua chapter one, verse one, and here's what it says. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. And he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. And that's when, that's when Joshua finds out. Now, Moses had, God had allowed Moses to go to the top of a mountain to see into the promised land and then told him, but you're not going to be the one to do this. And God allows Moses to die right there on the spot, so he, he doesn't get a chance to be buried. And there's a really cool, t- cool battle scene between Satan and uh, Michael the archangel that's into the, in the second to the last book of the Bible, in the book of Jude, and if you want to see it, Satan and Michael the archangel do battle for 40 days over the body of Moses. Just kind of like this really cool side story. Like when we get to heaven, if God ever says, Sean, like what do you want to do? I want God to roll tape of that battle scene of Satan and like like uh, Satan and, and Michael the archangel battling for 40 stinking days, right? That That'd, that'd be sick, right? Like Marvel ain't got nothing on on that movie. That's what I want to see. Uh, anyway, that's that's over the body of Moses. So Joshua doesn't know that he's died. God's one who tells him Moses is dead. You know, right in that moment, he probably wet his pants just a little bit because there's millions of people, to, a million people. To take, to take on, right, to lead now. They didn't vote on him, so there's no election. He's just got to be the guy who starts leading in the place of the most famous leader of all time, Moses. Uh, verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan into the land that I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses, that wherever you set foot, You will be on land that I have given you, from the Negev wilderness in the south, to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will ever be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you. I will not abandon you. And this brings me to the first of three things I think will help you uh, in in periods of of anxiety, uh, indecision, when we don't know what we're supposed to do next, and that's this. You don't know what happens next? But God does, and He's with you. That's a big deal. You don't know what happens next, but God does, and He's with you. God didn't tell Joshua everything that happens next. Josh, God came to Joshua and said, "Here's what you need to know. What you need to know is I am with you, and I will not abandon you." Do you remember when you were a little kid and you got scared uh, because there was a thunderstorm, you had a nightmare? And where do you, if, if you had a good relationship with your parents, not everybody had good parents, I understand that. But if you had a good relationship with your parents or maybe you grew up with your grandparents, what did you do when there was a nightmare? You, went, you ran into your grandma's room, right, or your parents' room, and you got in your bed with them because you felt like you were safe there. And as I got older, I didn't always get into my mom and dad's bed. Like when I was like 10, I didn't get in mom and dad's dad's bed. I was almost as big as my parents at that point. That was a little bit weird. But I can remember that they had a gigantic walk-in club. I'm giving you more information than what you need. But what I remember is that whenever, whenever I would have a nightmare, uh, my dad had this a, a Romanian feather pillow. I, not that it spoke Romanian. It didn't come from Romania. But there was a Romanian couple in our church that made this feather pillow for my parents. And it was gigantic. And they it was a big deal in their culture. Every family had one of these. Um, so my parents had one. And whenever there was a, a big storm or whenever I, I had a nightmare, I'd grab their feather pillow and I'd run it into the, the, their, their walk-in closet and I would, I, would, I would sleep in there. And being close to my parents uh, took away the fear. And, and that's the first thing you need to know. God is with you. And he knows what happens next. So God gives Joshua a promise. And you would think that that would settle it for Joshua. That God says wherever your feet steps is going to be your property. Like I'm going to give you the exact same promises I gave to Moses. And you would think that if God told Moses, here's my guarantee. My guarantee is that I am with you and that I will accomplish everything I've determined to accomplish in your life. You would think that that would make the fear go away. And you're going to find out in a minute that it doesn't help with the fear at all with him. In fact, God has to keep telling him to not be afraid. God is to keep telling him this. Now, God wouldn't have to tell him this unless he was feeling fearful. But God telling him these promises, you would think, would make the fear go away, but it doesn't. We have the same advantage. Uh, Excuse me. God gives Joshua a promise, and you would think that that settles it, uh, but it doesn't. Um, The truth is that God gives us promises, too, and you would think that that settles it for us, but it doesn't. Jesus promises rest, abundant life, fulfillment, that all things work out for the good of his children, comfort and trials, a plan that works out. God promises to finish the work that he started in you. God promises to give you peace and to supply all of your needs. But that doesn't mean that when I lose my job unexpectedly, I don't freak out as though God wasn't going to keep his promise. I'm still afraid and I don't know why that is. I have all of these promises from God, right? Now, now we have the perspective of time, and we can see the story of Joshua. And we find out in the rest of this chapter that Joshua Joshua is an incredibly fearful guy. And we can look at that and say, how pathetic, because look at all the awesome stuff that God did with him. And I'm wondering if, given given the exact same perspective of time, someday we will stand in the presence of God and wonder why we were ever freaking out when our kids left home or... When COVID came and your son's senior year was all messed up or your daughter started dating a guy that you didn't approve of. It doesn't work for me all the time. And the reason why is because my feelings get in the way. We live in the tension between... Uh, angst and fulfillment between the starting line and the finishing line, and not always, for me at least, knowing that I'm going to cross the finish line, having accomplished what God intended for my life to accomplish, doesn't make it always feel better in in the meantime. It's like a good story. The beginning of the story, there's you, know, the, you they identify the character and they get you to emotionally buy into who the character is. But the middle of the story, all of these horrible things happen to the character, right? Like there's like the story arc where something like, like stressful happens in the life. And think of any of your favorite movies. Think of all of your favorite books. There's a character that you begin to identify with who then goes through some harrowing type of experience in the middle of the story. And that's what makes the resolution of the story so incredibly fulfilling is that it all works out. But if that was a real story, that while that character was going through that horrible experience in the middle, they don't know that it's all going to end up well, and so they're freaking out, and that's the exact same place that you and I find ourselves in. God said that he'd be successful, and here's the reason why. Because God said in verse 5 that I will be with you. I will not fail you or abandon you. So we're all nervous for the election. Maybe you're not nervous for the election at all. It's probably because you don't watch the news. (laughs) Like, I'm nervous about the election. I'm nervous about our our country. I'm nervous about how long quarantine is going to last, and I'm nervous about all the additional layoffs that are gonna happen. I'm nervous because the interest rates are so low and the government is printing out money like crazy Like, inflation is going to go, there's got to be a correction coming, right? Like, so now you're like, actually, I wasn't thinking about that at all, but thank you very much for ruining my weekend. (laughs) And what I have to remember in the middle of all of this, does God know who is going to be the president on November 4th, yes or no? Does God know, yes or no? And is God in heaven freaking out about it, yes or no? Then what the heck are you freaking out about it for? Does God know how your health situation is going to work out, yes or no? Does He know? Yes or no? Is God in heaven freaking out over it right now, Yes or no? No. Then why are you freaking out about this? Your situation with your career, your finances or debt or the, the re, you, you need to refinance your mortgage while the interest rates are low so that you can pull out some money so that you can actually make it to the end of this, and you don't even know how long it is till the end of this? And like these are the things that are keeping up us at night. And the first thing you need to know is that God says, I am with you. God knows how all of this will work out. And he is okay with it. He's okay. You guys know that God is sovereign over all of the events of humankind. Right? Now, that doesn't mean that God makes every horrible thing ever happen, but no horrible thing will ever happen that God won't twist into the story of good that he's writing with all of human history. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Do all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose or not? So God has a 100% track, 100%, 100 track record of keeping his promises and he's not going to ruin his perfect attendance award for keeping his word just to screw with you. Right? That's what I have to remember. That while I don't know how what I'm worried about right now is going to turn out, God has already seen it. And has already promised me, Sean, you are mine. And I will work this out for your good. Quit freaking out. That's good news. That's good news. Um, John chapter 14 verse 17 says, The Holy Spirit is in you, is with you, and in you. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20 says, and be sure of this, I will be with you always. So the promise to be with you wasn't just from God to Joshua. It's also from God to any one of you who will turn from your sins and begin following Jesus. God is not only with me, but God through his Holy Spirit is in me. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God promises right there in that verse that he's going to finish the good things that he planned for my life, that he started on the day I turned from sin to begin following him. That's the promise that I have. Joshua chapter 1 verse 6 through 7. Go into the second thing. Be strong and courageous, God says, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors that I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. What do you think were the two things Joshua was struggling with? God's already repeated it twice. Joshua felt like he was too weak to do it and he wasn't courageous. He was afraid. I don't think I'm the right guy for this job. I don't think I can do it. And I'm terrified. So let me just say this. Joshua's fear... And his feelings of inadequacy did not keep him from doing what God intended to accomplish in his life. And I think the same thing is probably true for you. Your fear and feelings of inadequacy isn't bigger than God's ability to work through you anyway. I think that's awesome. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the commands, all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything that you do. God gave him instructions, and these instructions apply to us also. The first instructions God wants me to have when I can't sleep at night, or when fear or anxiety start creeping up, or I'm starting to have a panic attack, or you're starting to have a panic attack, the very first instructions God would give you is this Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Maybe that's a verse you need to memorize. Be strong and courageous. Uh, Be strong and courageous. If God is with you, then you can get up, that's being strong, and you can keep going, that is courageous. If you've gotten stuck, then there's a part of this biblical truth that you're, that you're ignoring. And that brings me to the second thing that I think can help. Number two is this, faith is the ability to trust that God can handle this. And it's seen by my ability to get up and keep going when every bit of fear inside of me is wanting me to sit down and crawl up into a little ball. Maybe God is calling you to take your faith off of your problem and to put it on him. Maybe you're more confident that your fear is going to ruin you than you're confident that God can redeem you. Maybe your fear is evidence that you believe that your whatever sickness is is stronger than God's ability to use that sickness for whatever God intended to do in your life. Maybe God is asking you to trust that he's with you and knows where this is going and that you can trust him with them. Peter Schizero wrote a book called The Emotionally Healthy Healthy Spirituality, and he said that he believes right now, and by the way, I got to, I'm in a cohort with other pastors here in New England, and uh, I got to, actually, wasn't even here in New England, it was across the country, but there were 15 pastors that were invited, and I don't even know how I got in that list. Um. Because sometimes I'll get on that list because they're charging money. And <laughs> say just want your money, right? But this is like a free phone call with this guy, Peter Scazzaro. And in this conversation, he said that he believes that God is stripping Western Christianity of, excuse me, stripping Christianity of its Western ethos and forcing all of us to consider the quality of our relationship with God himself rather than our relationship with our religion. He believes that right right now what God is doing through this pandemic in the hearts of his children is he's separating the wheat from the chaff. What he's doing is he's taking away our crutches and helping us to see how strong our relationship is with him or how weak our relationship is with him. Because we haven't been able to use the tools that we've always depended on to keep us relationally fit. We haven't been able to go to church on the weekends for the past six months. And that's one of the tools that we use to stay spiritually fit. We haven't been able to go to life group uh, on Friday nights or Tuesday nights or every other week or every week, however often you're going to life groups or we're going to life groups, and that's one of the tools that you are using to stay spiritually fit. You haven't been able to serve on your ministry team and the team of people that you work with every single weekend here at Grace Church or the different teams that are involved in other things throughout the community during the week. You haven't been able to meet with them, and those relationships are a tool that you've been able to use to help maintain your relationship with God. And when all of those things happened, or when all those things got taken away from you, then what happened to your relationship with God? Right? Now we have to stand on whether or not we are actually in a close relationship with Jesus. Barna just released a survey this past week that said 42% of regular churchgoers pre-COVID 42%, 42%, get this, get this number, out of 10 people, four of them, meaning there's only six left, right? You get what I'm saying? 42% of them have completely detached from any spiritual or religious weekly involvement. 42% of all regular church people have walked away from their faith, a regular weekly practice of their faith, even in their own homes, since all this has happened. Your relationship with other Christians and the body of Christ are tools to help you grow in your walk with God, but were never intended to replace your walk with God. God was calling Joshua to a closer relationship with himself that would bring him to a place of confidence in the goodness of God. That confidence then gives him, or would give him, the ability to be strong and courageous, and the same is true for you and me. The mature follower of Jesus is able to be detached from being emotionally dependent on pandemics, finances, poor health, or relational dysfunction. And when I say that we're able to maintain a detachment, it's not a dispassionate detachment. It's not that I'm able to not care about the things that are happening to me. It's that the things that are happening to me do not control the way I respond to them or the quality of my life as I move through them. That's what I mean. If I am walking with God, if my relationship with God is healthy, then I can, I haven't used this illustration in a long time, but her name came up this past week. Michelle Fatal had stage four, uh, of, of stage four cancer when we were going through the build-out of this building. And that chick, stinking stud. I've, I've never seen anybody go through stage four cancer and then die with a more upbeat, positive, cheerful spirit in my entire life than Michelle Fatal. Many times since then, I've told my wife, when I die, I want to go out the way Michelle Fatal did. I don't want to be the person who's freaking out. I want to be the person who's so confident in my relationship with God that I knew that this is just my natural expiration date, and there's nothing I'm ever going to do to get past that. Like, there's no fear. Like, if I know for a fact on the day that I was born that I was destined by God to die on this day, then, bro, I can embrace that. If I know that I have walked these days in between with him, if God has squeezed out every bit of awesomeness out of my life that he intended to do, then I can finish this race okay. John the Baptist was asked, Aren't you upset that all of your disciples are leaving you to go follow Jesus now? Somebody asked him that. John the Baptist was the guy who prepared the way for Jesus. He was baptizing in the Jordan River. Then Jesus comes along and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Then everybody starts following John the Baptist. And he's preaching to smaller and smaller crowds every single weekend and smaller and smaller crowds. And finally, somebody just asked the obvious. Doesn't it bother you? Doesn't it bother you that you've got a small crowd and Jesus has a big crowd? And here's what he says. No one can receive anything unless God gives it to them from heaven. I love that kind of confidence. God knew that this pandemic was coming. And he's already worked this into the story of every single one of our lives. No one can receive anything unless God in heaven approves it. Job said, should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So why are we as shaken as the rest of the world by instability, by racial and social injustice, by sin, by chaos, and by evil? When truthfully we should have been the ones who had seen it coming. We should be the ones who are most prepared for it. We, because of God's Spirit in us, should each be like an eye in the middle of a hurricane. Do you know what I'm talking about when I talk about the eye in the middle of the hurricane? You guys know that the hurricane's all crazy, hundred mile an hour per hour. Uh, per, 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 per. Too much communion wine before I came out. And in the very middle, that's a joke, too, in the very middle of the hurricane is what's referred to as the eye. There's not even any clouds in there. And the wind is there's no wind, there's no rain, there's clear skies, and there's sunny. And that's the way we're to live our lives. Like hurricanes can be happening, like there could be craziness happening all around us. But we, as devoted followers of Jesus, we have the confidence that God saw this coming and has worked this not only into the story of my life, but the story of the life of mankind. And the story of the life of mankind ends with the glory of God and justice being brought to all evildoers, which means that I don't have to freak out right now. That's what it means. So how do I actually do this? Number one, recognize that God knows everything and has worked into the story. Number two, trust that he is with me so I can be strong and courageous. And the last thing is this. I can't do everything, but I can do the next thing right. That's what I can do. I can't do everything, but I can do the next right thing. And this is where we finish with Joshua. Chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Study this book of instruction. Continually meditate on it day and night so you can be sure to obey everything that's written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Listen, how many times does God have to say be strong and courageous? Holy crap. And I wonder if, like, right now... You're terrified of whatever you're going through and you're asking yourself, God, why, am I, why are you doing this to me? What? And God might not be doing it to you at all. It might be just a part of living in a broken, screwed up, sin-cursed world. But if God was able to talk to you audibly, I think I would know exactly what he would say to you. Get up. Get moving again. What the freak? You act like I'm not here. You act like you're alone. Stand Up. Keep moving. The world ain't over because I ain't done with it. And you got a role to play, a job to do. And you can't do it when you're laying on the ground in the fetal position, sucking on your thumb. I don't know why I said sucking on my thumb. That's what I pictured somebody was doing in a fetal position. But if you're sucking your thumb, I think Jesus would say stop it. Lean into your relationship with God. Read God's Word on your own. Read. Read the Bible. You want to know what God's going to tell you? It's in the book. Read. Read the Bible. If you don't know where to start, get your Bible phone. Bible phone. Get your phone. Get the Bible on your phone. Go to one of them reading plans. Then in the reading plans, click on the little magnifying glass, the search icon. And type in any word that has to do with anything that's causing you anxiety or stress. And it'll come up with a 30-day, a 60-day, a 90-day, a 10-day, or a 3-day reading plan from the Bible that deals with that deals different Bible verses that are dealing with exactly what you're going through right now. Be disciplined in praying, talking with God. Speak about what God is doing in your heart with someone else. And do what you see the Bible telling you to do. Trust God and quit freaking out. That's a whole lot easier to say than it is to do, isn't it? You trust your Uber driver, though. You'll get in that car with a total stranger, and you'll trust that they're going to take you where you're going, right? Some of you guys are like, nope, that's why I only do taxis. Well, you trust your taxi driver, right? You trust the pilot in the airplane. Every single one of you trusts that the person coming the opposite direction is you, going 55 miles an hour on a two-lane road on your way home. You're trusting that they stay on their side of the double yellow line. Right? We trust them to do the right thing. Then trust God to do the right thing for you also. Trust God to carry you to the next part of your journey. We you say they'll do this if you follow him in this part of your journey. So if you're racked with anxiety, stress, panic, and fear, then there's a part of the gospel that you aren't believing. We as Christians have an advantage over the Jews. They only had the presence of God in the tabernacle, but you and I have God in us. God isn't in a tent any longer. He is in you. Jesus promised to stay with you and to never leave. You need to bring him into the conversation that you're having in your head more often. Can I say that again? You need to bring Jesus into the conversation that you're having in your head. Those thoughts, the narrative that you keep replaying over and over and over again, you need to bring Jesus into that. You need to actually start living out the centered, peace-filled, Holy Spirit-driven self that God intended you to be. You need to walk with Jesus and rest in knowing that he's sovereign over what you're most afraid of happening also. Maybe you don't have God's spirit in you. I don't know. That's not a promise that God gives to everybody. That's a promise that God gives to everybody who will turn from sin and begin following Jesus, trusting that only his death, burial, and resurrection makes you right with God. Jesus said to his disciples, The God's Holy Spirit who is with you will, when I leave, be in you. And that happened in Acts chapter 2. And for everybody else in the next five chapters, every time somebody had committed to turn from sin to begin following Jesus, somebody would lay hands on them, and then they would be filled with God's Holy Spirit. Until I believe it's Acts chapter 8, when those who are non Jewish get the opportunity to turn from sin and accept Jesus as their Messiah also. And from then on, from then on, nobody ever received the Holy Spirit by laying out of hands. From then on, everybody received the Holy Spirit the moment they were saved, the moment. The day you make a conscious decision to repent of your sins and give the rest of your life to following after the ways of Jesus, on that day, the day you say I do to God, the day I said I do to Billy Jane, I was 100% married. Didn't mean I was a 100% good husband, but I was 100% husband. The day you call out to God to forgive you and save you is the day you are 100% his kid. Does it make you 100% good kid? Does it make you a good Christian yet? That's a process, just like becoming a good husband. But I am 100% his kid on that day, and God puts his Holy Spirit in me. You can have that also. Maybe you need to acknowledge that you can be okay not knowing everything that God knows. Why do you and I have to insist that we know how everything, where has God ever done that for anybody in the Bible? Because if he did that, what would they not need to have? Faith. It is God's plan not to tell you how this works out. (laughs) You realize that? Like, you don't really have any other options. Like, the one who does know how this is going to work out isn't going to tell you. The only thing he will tell you is, be strong, be courageous, and trust that I got this. Commit to a regular time in God's word and in his presence and do what he says as much as you say you believe in what he says. That's it. And then Joshua is able to step into the shadow or into the shoes of Moses and do everything with the people of Israel that Moses never got to do. Because he became confident that God could work it all out. And while God wasn't going to tell him everything to do, Joshua was going to be obedient in the next thing to do. And he knew that as long as he was just going to obey the next thing God told him to do, he could trust God with all of the other things that would ever come after that. So I think as we wrap this up and pray, you need to decide what's the next thing you need to do. Maybe the next thing you need to do is to tell God you're sorry for acting as though he's lost his mind. Maybe you could pray and tell God, I trust you to work this out. My confidence doesn't come in my ability to figure all of this out. My confidence comes from the fact that you already have and that you're with me. Maybe it's to pick up some type of regular pattern of spiritual devotion to God. Maybe it's reading a chapter of the Bible, maybe it's starting a Bible plan. Maybe it's going on a walk tonight before you go to bed and you just spend walking around the block two times. You spend one time just praying for yourself and you spend one time around the block praying for everybody else. I don't know. But if you keep God out of this conversation, he'll stay out of it. But he's willing to walk through this with you if you invite him and bring him into it. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for each person who's a part of our service today. I I don't, I don't, Almost every hand went up when I asked how many of us have lost sleep since the beginning of all of this. This is affecting us in different ways. God, some of us have lost loved ones throughout this, whether from COVID or not. We weren't able to grieve with family. It's difficult. I know of two funerals in our church this next week. God, I pray for your blessings in their life. God, I know that there are other people facing serious health issues in our church family right now, some of them even here. God, I know that some of us are facing some financial crisis. Some of us, God, are responsible for a lot of different things that affect a lot of different people, and we don't know exactly what we're supposed to do next. But the awesome thing is, God, you do. I don't have to have everything figured out. I just need to know the next thing I'm supposed to do, and God, give me the courage to do that. Whatever that is, God, give us courage. Help us to be strong. Help us to trust you and help us to keep moving. Help us, God, to find a friend that can pray with us for the things that stress us out. I don't know that we were ever intended to carry all of our burdens all by ourselves. Bring another Christian friend into our life that we can begin talking to about the way that we're being spiritually formed. That's another one of our prayers. God, let your will be done in us right now so that your will can be done through us tonight when we go to sleep. God, I'm asking in the name of Jesus that every single person in this room sleeps well tonight. Because they trust you to work it out. In your name, Jesus, we ask this and we all say together, amen.